0: This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.
1: Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. All right, welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you. Joining us also, stat boy Drew himself, Drew Glukov, in the house uh, to talk about. So we're going to try and make the UCF Athletics Board of Trustees As exciting as humanly possible because my goodness. Yeah. It was
2: long.
1: It was a long morning. It was a long morning. I'm not going to lie. But uh, but there's a lot to talk about there. And I'm I'm glad we delayed the show by a day, fellas, because we went from like having no news to having a bunch of news to talk about. The athletic season is officially underway. Women's soccer kicking the tar out of Texas. Horns down, man. We'll we'll talk about that. And we also have our uh, volleyball. Preview head coach Todd Dagenet joining us uh, in the show to talk about his team getting ready to uh, getting ready to begin their quest for a fourth consecutive conference championship Yeah, uh, volleyball. So lots to talk about. But first, let's talk about the uh, Terry Mohajers meeting with the board of trustees. It was delayed by a week. Uh, here's what the first thing. Let's get it out of the way. What didn't happen was there was no vote at all on the uh, stadium naming rights.
2: It I didn't know even what, come up at all.
1: Didn't even come up at all. Not even in the question and answer session. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what you guys have been hearing, but I, I'm still, I'm still hearing, you know, just, just wait, just hang tight. All right. Um, Drew, you were getting in fights with people, including me on Twitter today about the, about the, the, the handling of it. I, I don't think there's anything to really handle at this point but either way What's we're just done is put, done. Yeah. We're going to put that on the, we're going to put that on the back burner for now. Um, the hula bowl is coming to UCF that's made official by the way this year, 20 or this January, 2022 with an option for two more years. So since the hula bowl is not in Hawaii uh, because they're renovating, or I don't know if they're renovating they're rebuilding. or knocking down it's rebuilding down and rebuilding Aloha stadium. Yeah. Um, that's why they're doing that. So the 407 to 808 connection um, uh, wins once again. But the most important thing that uh, Terry Mahajra spoke about today with the uh, board of trustees is the new facilities plans that he's been working on in his first six months here. And uh, boy, do we have some changes to talk about uh, it all wrapped up under the umbrella of the um the football campus is what they're calling it. Basically a three-phase project. Phase one uh, is the, uh, the Recovery Cove, what we're calling the Recovery River, uh, is being moved. Remember, it was kind of on the southeastern corner of, of the bounce house. Now it's being moved basically to right in front of the new Athletics Administration building, the new Roth a- Athletic Center. They're going to expand the parking lot that goes parallel to the Wayne Dench Center Um, and so it's kind of like going to be all in this one area. And I think they're, and really there's actually one practice football field that's in that spot right now. They're going to build another one on the other side of the second field from that. Uh, and that's going to be phase one, phase two is going to be the addition on the South end of, um, of the stadium of what they call the launch club. Basically it's going to be this huge, um, building where they're going to have, uh, they're, they're, uh, connected to the stadium. It's going to be, they're going to put in loge seats. The coaches, the football coaches offices are going to be there kind of like how they have it in other places where they kind of look over the stadium and then look over the practice fields. Uh, and uh, that the coaches offices are going to be there. And that's going to be another um, additional um, revenue center for ticket sales for UCF. And then they're also going to put standing room only, uh, areas wings on either side of the big scoreboard on the north side of the stadium uh how much that's going to expand the uh uh the capacity of the stadium i'm not 100 sure but that's supposed to be additional student seating that'll be standing room only uh and then the third phase is going to be a renovation of the Wayne Dench center the weight room is going to be um where they have the large weight room we're going to see uh a bunch of different things happen we're going to that's going to be Instead of having coaches' offices there, that's they're gonna they're gonna knock the coaches out of there, which is where the football coaches are right now, and it's gonna be all students. So you're not gonna see any. Um, it's gonna be an all student area. So you're not gonna see any uh, coaches' areas, coaches' offices in that in that specific area. Um, they're also gonna do a couple little detail things like knocking down some of the, you know some of the drywall and replacing it with glass that you can see it's going to supposed to look really nice. It's cool building that they can, that they can work on there, but that's sort of the three phase, uh, project. Um, so wow. Uh, a lot to talk about here. Uh, Mohajer was asked about, um, the price tag for this. Uh, he was a little, I don't want to say cagey about it, but kind of, kind of, sheepishly dodged the question a little bit, but did drop a number that he said he was thinking about approximately $50 million. Um, That's it. That's not a hard number, but that is a lot of money. Um, But, you know, like you said, we know UCF is actually in a pretty good spot financially right now. UCF athletics is Um, you're talking about uh, a, a department that finished in the black. Thanks to, as Terry Mahajer himself said, thanks to all Rocky top um the goal uh, what he did say was his goal there were two key goals financial goals and drew you're pretty good at figuring this kind of stuff out um currently the uh the athletic budget is in the neighborhood of about 70 to 75 million dollars Mohajer said his eventual long-term goal is to get that budget up to 100 million dollars uh, how does he plan on doing that well several avenues but most of all uh, he wants to get uh, the number of total donors to UCF Athletics to ten thousand. Currently, it's over; it's more than eighty one hundred. Um, I'm correct,
2: so that, that was just a charge on fund. Uh,
1: I thought it was the total number of donors.
2: I, th- I, I mean, have to I go back grow, and I thought check. that check. I thought that was specific to the charge on fund.
1: Anyway, um, the uh, job and grad school placement is hundred percent among UCF athletes, student athletes uh and 27 straight semesters with a departmental gpa of 3.0 or above and you got uh, so that,
2: applauses for those yes as
1: as <laughs> as one should because that's really the primary job of an athletic department is yeah, to and that graduate. was the only
2: thing he got applauded for was, was right. that moment when he talked yeah. about how how the academics are just kicking butt and taking names
1: which is good it's always good so um what do we think here drew uh this was quite the presentation boy <laughs> Terry's a great salesman. I'll tell you. Oh my oh, gosh! I, I was ready to—I was ready to jump through the television screen, man. It was—it was—it was a lot of fun. Like afterwards, you kind of have to like, okay, wait a second. Let's let's analyze this. How much? What are we really thinking about? But this is a this is a a pretty ambitious post-COVID plan.
2: Uh, that's an understatement. This is incredibly ambitious. In fact, if you take all the projects put together that he has planned, he talked about the price tag being towards one thirty. 130 million dollars, but I mean, here's here's the truth. This is a very long term thing. This is definitely not uh, a sprint.
1: Yeah, this is not going up tomorrow.
2: No, in fact, uh, this it could be 10 years before we really see a lot of results. Uh, The first phase is probably is going to obviously be the most likely and the most practical. The recovery uh cove recovery River, whatever you want to call it whatever the name is going to be called
1: the recovery river they were they don't want to call it the lazy river they want to no, call no. it the Recovery it, river.
2: because they were talking about cold ponds and stuff for instead of just you know icing down they wanted it right next to the practice facility so that they can go right out and and jump in and and go in they're going to have uh training staff affiliated with it to handle it so i mean they're they're actually looking at it from a very practical standpoint but from what i understand that's already paid for. That's paid mm. with private money, largely through the, the McNamara family. Right.
1: So it new to that was where they were putting it.
2: Right. And I think it's better where it's at. I think there's this new idea of, of moving the practice field. You know, obviously you got to dig up and you got to do the plumbing for that. And so you have the drainage all set up and, and the, the parking lot there, because as, as Terry said, that becomes, that's been used kind of like a front door for, you know, for lack of a better term for the stadium, mm-hmm. and it looks terrible, uh, and it's not very functional. So I used that, to park
1: there when I worked. It was just a parking lot. For, basically, it was just a slab of vault that was a park for staff and the TV truck go there too.
2: Exactly, uh, and so uh, they're they're planning on expanding at least twice as wide. And uh, you can have ta- they show that they plan on having you know tailgating there, so they could probably get premium tailgating. You know, someone's willing to cough up a few coins to to have a close spot. Uh, you know, basically he said in except for phase three,
0: mm-hmm.
2: every one of these opportunities has a way of making money. So phase three, obviously being the gutting and redoing of the Wayne Dent Center, which requires the coaches' boxes to already be moved, their offices to be moved. Mm-hmm to the stadium expansion with the launch club. But I mean, they showed the, the floor plan of the Wayne Dench. Man, that is a convoluted mess right now with the offices all over the place. Yeah. Just an absolute mess. But one of the things he did, and, and I got to give Terry a lot of credit. He, he knows how to work a room. He he used a lot of references to some of the big schools, Ohio State, you know, Alabama, Florida, Texas. And, and, but the stuff he was kind of highlighting were were things like the presentation room the weight room stuff that you really can only do so much with so yeah it's easy to get up to the level of those top big schools because there's only so much you can do it's not like you're talking about the stadium being on par with an ohio stadium or a bryant denny stadium in tuscaloosa
1: which it won't be and it never and it never was designed to be it was that never way. meant to be right um,
2: the, the UCF's stadium, the Bounce House, is actually based on the Florida State model, which was built steel-based first and then was improved around. Mm-hmm. So,
1: I, so everyone, I, I'm glad you brought that up by the way, because everyone forgets, everyone who criticizes the Bounce House forgets that Dope Campbell Stadium is basically built the same way, aside from the main grandstands on the sides, which which are which are as old as the hills, the. Everything else that you see around it, basically 50% of that stadium is is that you know the the, the, the derogatory term for it is erector
2: set. It's a steel <laughs> you know? stadium.
1: Yeah. You
2: know, it's not like Florida Field, which is concrete based. I would love to see you know UCF able to build a concrete stadium, but I mean it's it becomes a question of affordability. So he really did a great job of selling the room by by using key terms. Energy and and talking about these big schools, Uh, I think it's a very ambitious plan. It's going to be a long time. And and the reality is we shouldn't get our hopes up that it's going to happen anytime soon. I'm not trying to be negative about it. I'm just trying to be realistic. Uh, UCF can't afford a $50 million price tag. And obviously, that price is going to go up as costs change and everything. So it's going to be more than that. Mm -hmm. But control the things you can control. Phase one. I think phase one is really doable and can probably be done the next five years. Uh, and if not less, because half that money's already raised. Yeah, It's once you get into phase two with the stadium expansion of the launch club and those two slats that are going to be for student overflow with the standing room area, plus um, the extra bleachers up there. Uh, I'll be honest. I-, I wish they would focus on the seats they already have first and make those a little nicer. But I mean, beggars can't be choosers but <laughs> uh, I, I think i think he did a great job he playing he so much energy and in fact i don't know which trustee it was but one of them commented about how animated he was and i think that's so cool that ucf has a guy who can can just inspire and that's what you need in a leader you need someone who inspires and, and he did an outstanding job uh, like Eric, what, what do you think about this this grand plan? I know we talked about it before the show, uh, and, and you weren't quite as excited um, as we listen, were.
3: Listen, all I'm saying, you said it's going to be long-term. There's a reason why UCF does stand for Under Construction Forever. All right. All right. I mean, what else is new? Everybody that's gone on campus at one point in their lifetime, I know I did when I walked in, there's always some sort of construction. So what's the what's the difference here? Uh we'll probably be in construction. However, I think you make a good point, Drew, though. It is long-term. But let's be real. This is about possibility of the future of the athletic department and realignment, expansion, you know, that all comes into play here. And I think that's not an accident. He mentioned the bigger programs. You want to make sure you're in position because that's why this things, these things happen. They don't do it because, hey, we want the student experience to be great. Of course they do. But that's lip service. The real reason they're doing this is, hey, if the ACC has a spot for us, we're ready. And here's what we could show you from a facility standpoint. And I think that's the big picture here. So I agree with you. I don't think this is something they want. I mean, obviously, yes, ideally they would like this to be done as soon as possible, Drew. But I think the next decade with all the, I think there's going to be a lot of kind of wackiness going on in college athletics as it changes. And I think if you're UCF, you want to show whoever that, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we're about. And we're the future, right? Hasn't that been the motto? We're the future of college football. We're the future of college athletics. And I think that's, I think t- it's not an accident that this proposal uh, was proposed to, you know, a couple of weeks after all the Texas and Oklahoma movement.
1: I, yeah, I and they did ask him about advice. that too. I'm sorry, Drew. I, they did ask him about that too. And I think that he's, you know, Terry could, Terry said exactly what he, you know, all he can say, which is, you know, hey, look, we're. We're prepared, we're ready. Whatever happens, right? Um, that's the thing that is kind of in the backs of everybody's mind is what's gonna happen now with, with this real land. Are we heading for another is UCF gonna be, you know, in the eye of the hurricane again? You know? So go ahead, Drew. I'm sorry.
2: I would say I don't know about you guys, but uh I, I'm really excited about the hula bowl. I mean, I think that's like sweet.
1: I think it's really cool. I I you know, I I, I love the fact that we're actually. You know, it used to be that you know, George O'Leary back in the day he did not want anybody but his team using, yeah, I
3: mean, keep the grass away from the field,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: God, you sound so, more you don't sound like George O'Leary at all. <laughs> I haven't had to do it in a while, you know,
1: yeah, he's not I, been around, but, but yeah, you but I will like a say the New Yorker, yeah, but I will, I will say that, I mean, it's a you know. Uh, when Danny White came around the Apollos were here briefly of course we know that didn't exactly work out according to plan but um you know it was it was there were numerous proposals to have the Cure Bowl actually played um or what became the Cure Bowl played at at the stadium that never that never materialized but you know now I, I do think that it could be it is part and parcel of what Terry Mahaj was saying and I think that this goes to eric what you're saying is the athletic department of the future um needs to be needs to be lean and mean and and in that respect you need to make everything that you do or at least most of everything that you do um be a center of revenue as well right so you talk about the um the recovery river you need to be able to sell tailgate licenses to that as well um when you talk about the coach's office loge boxes, you need to be able to sell that as an additional club uh, for for uh, for season ticket holders. So uh, I think that that's another another aspect of it there is the fact that you know you have to try and everything that you build produce money, not just use
3: it. Well, that's my question with you both of you here. I mean, is there a magic number from an attendance standpoint or whatever that the hula bowl has to hit for this to stick around, because there's a part of me that feels like this is a pl- this is kind of a temporary thing. It kind of reminds me of when the Pro Bowl was in Orlando, I f- and then once you know, once the NFL had Los Angeles ready to go, they they may move that Pro Bowl two seconds. Is there a number that the Hula Bowl has to hit for this to be a long term thing here? Because I will point out one of the issues that the Hula Bowl is going to have from an attendance standpoint that day is the day of the NFL playoffs. And that, but it was be. always like that. Correct, so, and that's why yeah. not a lot of people drew, showed up to it. So well, it was is,
2: also in whole, You know, you're, you're you're comparing a game that was in Hawaii, which is not going to have attendance to begin with, right? Versus Florida, Orlando in January, that's very accessible. But so will I'm, it draw?
1: I, I mean, what well, does it? Does it have to draw? I mean, that's the better question. That's the more I, accurate. Does I, it have to draw? I don't think. I don't think the intention of that uh, of that event is to draw. It's you know, not. I mean, we, it's, it's not it's designed for scouts. It's designed it now in the process. You're still putting UCF's name out there. And also the sponsors are getting a little bit extra because remember that the, the hula bowl people are not going to cover up the signage. Um, it's additional, it's additional exposure for UCF for a three-year period. I happen to think, you know, it's called the hula bowl guys. Like I think it's going to eventually go back to Hawaii once the new Aloha stadium is complete, but in that intervening time for three years, you know, perhaps UCF gets a little bit of exposure. If they do a very nice job with it, there's probably, there could probably be another opportunity for another college football all-star game that could come down the pike. Maybe another one, but, you know, I what's the one in Birmingham. Um, no, that's the senior bowl. I'm sorry. They're going to keep that one. There. You're thinking, well, yeah, you're well, thinking
2: of mobile. Well,
1: of I mean, mobile. maybe that one goes down well, here or something or, like that.
3: or does this open opportunity to revisit? You mentioned they, there were talks that the cure bowl would be played. There didn't happen. Could that be revisited? Could there be another bowl game in the mix? I mean, you've seen well, more I don't and more. know, what you know their
1: contract is with, right. with the Citrus Bowl. I know they did play at the one year at the Soccer Stadium.
2: I don't. I don't think the well. Remember, the Cure Bowl was originally contracted to to play at, at the Bounce House before they got hit with the three-year moratorium on new bowl games, which kept the Cure Bowl from happening. By the time the the moratorium ended, there was no more deal in place. So, I mean, could it could it come around? Yeah, but this is com- this is like an apples and oranges thing Yeah, you know, the better comparison is the east-west shrine bowl at tropicana field which yes, i thank you I that was the one i was thinking about i i had the the the, the privilege I, it was definitely a privilege for five out of the last six years to be able to cover and turnout was in a few thousands it's not the ten thousand plus like they're talking about for the, the hula bowl but you have Exposure. Uh, Mohajer talked about using the the hotel on campus, which I'm sure the school gets a piece of. Uh, they're talking about you know uh, financial guarantees. Mm-hmm. So I'm there. There's advanced, There's a value to it. I mean, I think I, I don't remember exactly what the attendance was the last time I was at. There may have been ten, close to ten thousand, at the last East West Shrine game that I was at. Unfortunately, the last year's, you know, the 2021 was was canceled uh, due to COVID yeah. and now they've moved to Las Vegas and that's where the East rush rainbow will be now. But the, with them gone, there is a floor, there's a hole in Florida and Florida in winter is an excellent time to have an all-star game. And I'll tell you the football experience from just going to a game, comparing Tropicana field versus the Boundhouse. I would take the bounce house. 11 out of 10 times versus Tropicana field for a football game. It is awful. It is an awful place to watch a football game <laughs> versus, you know, a stadium that's actually, you know, built. It's almost like it was football. built.
3: It was almost like that stadium was built not to have a football game. And there was almost like it was built to, I don't know, have baseball or something else.
2: Yeah. God. I mean, it's, now granted, I've been to a baseball stadium that was also built with football in mind, and it was really cool. It had two press boxes. Um, it had the one where home plate was, and then it had another one where the 50-yard line Which one was went. that? Uh, that was uh, the, the stadium in Hoover, Alabama.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Okay.
2: Where the SEC would have their baseball tournament. And, and that's just a cool design, but you know, Major League Baseball wasn't going to do that. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, but you can use that as kind of an idea of what kind of attendance you're, you're going to get. And you're going to get concessions and you're going to get, you know, people out there, but you're not going to sell the place out. This is about your name being out there, your exposure being out there, and the fact that everyone is flocking to Orlando to to scout and cover this game. Because, you know, it's future NFL stars. People are going to come to Orlando to scout and cover the game. There's, There's value in that.
1: Do you guys remember the um, what was the college all-star game that was happening where it was one team was guys from Florida schools and the other guys from Florida? Oh, it was high the gridiron classic, one? like Florida versus the classic. world. Classic. And they probably yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: lasted a uh, maybe two, three years. It wasn't very long. Uh yeah, the hula bowl's been around a long time. The Cedar Bowl's been around a long time, the shrine back bowl's the... been around a long time. You had the blue-gray classic, uh, which unfortunately yeah, has gone away. Yeah. Uh, So there was a bunch of them, but there's only a few that are still surviving. They're not cheap to put on, but I I love, I love Terry's gusto on it. I, 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 he flat out said, you know, Hey, these guys want to be here. They want to be in, you know, in Florida. And if things go really well, they may want to stick around longer. You know, they're, you don't get attendance in Hawaii. I mean, Heck, I was at the Hawaii bowl when UCF was there and they couldn't give tickets away for that game. They were trying to, they couldn't, no one wanted to go. Uh, you know, they're just trying to get random people on the street. They just weren't interested and, you know, the local guys weren't in, they don't care. So, I mean, that's kind of the same philosophy you're going to get with a, with a senior style game for all stars on the Island. It's just, it's too expensive to get there.
1: Bring back the gridiron classic. And you know, you remember it was played the last couple of years. I don't remember. It was played at a, apparently there is a polo stadium in the villages where they oh. played it. Yeah. It was at the citrus bowl for a couple of years and then, and then they moved it to the villages. It was there for like two or three years and then the game went away. But, um, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what they were dealing with. But anyway, um, I, I thought, like I said, the, so the wrap on this, uh, by the way, uh, one of the questions I'm getting here, and I want to um, put it to you guys before we take a break, and then when we return. We'll talk with Todd Dagenet. Um, ballpark figure for a year, a year when the the first two phases will be complete: the um, Recovery Cove and the stadium and the stadium expansion with the seating.
2: Eric, why don't you go first? I just want to know if
3: we're going to have a healthy running back core by the time Phase One even gets close to finishing. <laughs> that's
2: not what I asked
3: you. I think that's a little more. I'm more concerned about the running backs right now than our backfield. Not Who's what I asked
1: you. We'll get to that in a second. What just- was the oh. question? <laughs> <laughs> Screw it. I'll answer first. Yeah, yeah. go for it, Drew. Uh,
2: I think uh, the Re- McNamara Recovery Cove and and the field changes in the parking lot happens within five years. Uh, all, okay. all the pieces are in place. The most expensive part, which is going to be the river, that's already just paid in for. time when that new TV contract
3: kicks in. Wherever league we're in,
2: well, I, I think it will be a little longer than that. But uh, I, I think that is going to move pretty quickly because mo- most the the most expensive part of that project's already done, and all you're going to do is lose a little bit of tailgating spots, you know, for that the premium parking, and you're just going to shuffle things around. I think that's within five years. Now, the stadium upgrades, I think, is within uh, 10 to 15. Uh, It's going to take more time. You're going to, you know, concrete, steel, uh, not cheap. And then the the architecture and design of the launch club is, you know, there's going to have to be a lot of money. And there's a lot of other capital projects going on that we haven't talked about. You know mm-hmm. the the rent of, you know the changes with the softball field. I believe there was a new video board coming from from baseball uh, that was still being installed. If i correct, me if I'm wrong, it's not on the future plan, but it's on the now plan. But and they talked about uh, one can you know, hope other other yeah. facilities, not just football related, that that are also on the plan. So I I don't think phase two is going to be all that quick. There's so a, there's a lot of what you're parts. saying I, is
3: I, you're saying we can make money if we did a shirt that said. UCF stands for under construction forever. We can make some money. <laughs> oh, there's there's thinking, all sorts
2: of uh, marketing ploys that can be done.
1: I'm thinking the, uh, I'm thinking the goal is for that 2030 game against Florida. That's a good
3: shot. That's a good, that's a good, uh, I actually agree with that. I think that's the, that's a goal. Yeah. Okay. I agree with nine
2: that. years. I mean, that's, you know, that's that, a good number. It's yeah. ambitious, but I mean, they're going to really have to push hard on that. I think that. it's
1: ambitious, but I think it's doable, especially it, if you get a new tv con- if you get a new tv contract if things uh well i mean they're not going to get a you new you can't TV bank contract, on a new you... tv
2: contract though cuz you can you can't assume you're no, going to you get can't. something on that you got to you got to go based on what you have right now
1: well the midway point right now for that is 2025 right so that if there's any sort of movement if the current tv contract gets boosted because somebody comes over or if there's another option that comes up down the way that that <laughs> brings in some more revenue
0: and it's um, backloaded plus,
1: Yeah, it is backloaded. Heavily backloaded, by the way. Heavily backloaded from what we've seen. So that's a possibility. We'll have to wait and see, but that should be.
3: I just hope we have a healthy backfield by the time we get to that Florida game in 2030.
1: I'm I'm not convinced we'll ever have a healthy backfield. We'll get, we we have a healthy (laughs) backfield. All right, all right. We'll get to that uh, in a little bit. But uh, first, we're going to take a break. When we return, our preseason previews continue. Number two is coming along. Uh, We've got, we had Tiffany... Robert Zahidak last week is for preview number one. Already, number good already good karma.
3: Already good karma there.
1: Yes, which we'll talk about in segment three. But in segment two, Todd Dajene, head coach of UCF Volleyball, joins us to talk about his team's quest for a fourth consecutive conference championship. They were picked to be the uh, number one uh, team in the preseason uh, in the American. Uh, and uh, McKenna Melville, the preseason player of the year, we will preview the night's with their head coach when we return. It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Stick around. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Joining us now, as promised, the head volleyball coach of UCF in his oh gosh, Todd, what is it now?
0: 15 years? 13, I think.
1: 13? 13, 14, somewhere around there. I've I've lost count. What I do, what I have not lost count of is the fact, Todd Dagenet, that you guys have won. Forty-six of your last forty-eight in conference, and seventy-five of the last ninety overall. I would say that's actually pretty good, isn't it?
0: If you say so, I believe you. <laughs> it's it's
1: you never you never you never. <laughs> I, I can never get you to crack, man. This is unbelievable. No. So, all these. All right. Well, here we are. It's uh it's the it's the fall of twenty twenty-one. Feels like we just saw you in the spring. Uh, last, uh, I, I keep. I was ready to say last year, but last season you guys went sixteen and two, eight zero in the conference. Won your third straight American Athletic Conference championship, second straight year you did it in a tournament. But I know that the season did not end the way you wanted. But one of the things that I that I, I was talking about with the, or that Eric and I were talking about with Tiffany Roberts Sahadak is the balance of going from a spring season straight into the fall, because it doesn't really give the team much time to dwell on things. So as you guys prepare for this season, how, how fresh is that in the team's memory right now?
0: You know, I think every single team um, that played a spring sport and has to turn around playing the fall again. You know, you think about a, a cell phone battery. You get done in the spring and your battery's at about 5%. And then you plug it in and you go a month and then you start working out again. And you hope to start the season at about 85 or 90%. And for us, you end the spring season, you get right into workouts, you move on to summer camp and then you move into the fall and and really our battery is at 10%. And so we're already in the red area and uh, just getting started. So this is going to be which team just has the pure grit to ignore their body and ignore their mind and just say, I'm, I'm good enough to do this. I can do this.
1: How have you changed the, the approach to like your preseason conditioning and all that? Cause I find this kind of stuff kind of nerdy, but interesting because it's, you're thrown into a much, you guys are creatures of habit, right? But now you've been thrown way out of your habit with these two seasons back to back.
0: Right. The summer really sets up our fall strength program. Um, but it's the spring that leads into the summer. You know, we build up a, a nice solid core in the spring. Then we just go hard in the summer. And then we taper down just before we begin two a days. We didn't get to do that in the spring, which means summer had to be limited to a degree. Now we're in fall and we're really, we're an, already in a management type scenario where, you know, it's October or November and we're trying to taper for the NCAA tournament. It's just going to be about just trying to get through, um, you know. But I'm proud of the team. They're getting up at six fifteen, you know, three four times a week lifting, doing their conditioning, you know, doing what they can do to make sure that they can make it to the end of what's going to be a long season.
1: Let me ask you about this group that you have because you know, this is probably the most experienced group. That you, I think you probably have ever had in terms of returning from one season to the another, To another, you know, you have uh, seven seniors or what are classified as fifth-year players who got the extra year because of because of the pandemic. Um, and real stars coming back, not just McKenna Melville, but Tally Marmon, who is huge, Amber Olson, Catherine westlich uh, Narissa Morovic You have this really good core coming back. Anne Marie Watson, of course, I can't, you can never forget her. So it, it, how do you view this group and how hungry are they coming into the season? Because for some of them, I mean, we don't know right now, but it, even though they do, they do get an extra year of eligibility, some of them might be thinking this might be it, right?
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah. No, in terms of hunger, you don't have to worry about that with this group. You know, they came in as freshmen and they won. I think they were supposed to finish sixth or seventh. They won and they repeat it as sophomores then they repeat it as juniors you know so there's a culture amongst that group uh, that is win it's just win i don't care how you do it you win and i guess we're lucky in that aspect that we have so many returning players basically returning an entire starting lineup except for libero and um it's a group that's still hungry they we're, we're still trying to build history here. You know, we've got a great history in the program. Um, but we're trying to win a a fourth championship here. Um, and we're trying to do it in the, the fifth or sixth toughest volleyball league in the country. And that brings itself uh, some pretty good challenges. And then, you know, we, we have the goal of making the NCAA tournament and going farther into the NCAA tournament than what we have. Um, you know, our, our, our challenge, you know, it's just like any other Olympic sports. You have to go through Florida, you know, being ranked in the top four or Florida state being ranked in the top four before you get to go past the first and second round. So, you know, that's the way it is. We just got to get ourselves ready. And then we have to put ourselves in the position to go to the NCAA tournament, whether that's a championship or an at-large. And then we have to be prepared to beat who we need to beat.
1: McKenna Melville, once again, she's going to be the preseason player of the year. Um, she. Do you have it, a crystal
0: it, ball or something?
1: I um I I'm let me put it this way. I I'm not a gambling guy, but if I were, I think she's probably gonna she's probably gonna be it. But I think what really helped her last year, um, as great as she was and all the times that she put the team on her back, was the fact that she had somebody backing her up who was also a real threat. We know how good Anne Watson is on the opposite side, but also having Tolly Marmon in there and the way she stepped in. In, given the limited time that she had to really develop chemistry with the team was so key. So now that you have these weapons, what sort of th- new things are you expecting from your big hitters this year as we head into the fall well, of 2021?
0: Well, you know, we, we just want them to get a few percentages better, it, nothing major. Um, I think the greatest challenge is the depth. You know, you, you look at the right side and sure, everybody thinks anne Marie Watson, but she can't forget M- Mackenzie Chambers. I mean, she um, she continues to get better and better every day. And then you look at the left side, and we brought in Heidi Bonday, who can play both left and right. I mean, six foot four, long arms, plays left, right, um, and is playing really well in preseason. Maddie Kinney has come in strong um, from Colorado, and uh, that's another left side hitter. Uh, Add that to Mary Beth and Stella who's already here. So we've got incredible depth on the outside and the right side. I think for the first time ever, we are deeper than we've ever been in the middle. Uh, Amari Williams now is eligible. Um, Then you bring in Claudia Dillon, who is a very high level player from the SEC at Missouri. Um, Add them to a pair of middle blockers who were top five in the nation combined. Um, And, and then you add Megan lively to that. We've got five middle blockers that have size that have speed that can run different plays, different play sets, match up well against different teams. There's a lot of mixing and matching that could go on there. And um, you know, I I really, I'm happy with our setting. Um, Amber's coming back as, you know, one of those three-year starters already for her fourth year. Um, Emily Lawrence proved that last year she could go in and she could stabilize and run a team just as well. And she is even more confident this year. Drezzy Pass has a lot of experience under her belt. So we actually have three setters with major game and championship experience. Um, that's a great feeling to have as a coach. Um, look, You look at our liberos and, you know, it's a dogfight right now between the freshman Caitlin Grimes, um, who is really a special player. And then that's only made Chloe. It's only made Chloe Schneer go, you know, get better. And um, Chloe's playing the best I've ever seen her play. She's passing the best. She's playing the best defense, serving. Um, I've got two libero's. Either one of them could play on any given night. It's not like a Jordan Pingle or a Mackenzie or you know, or an Ariana. It, it could be. It could be any one of the two, and I'm perfectly comfortable. With either. So I think for the first time, I look at the floor and probably because of the COVID, you know, extra year rule, there's no issues with depth whatsoever. We're experienced, we're deep, we're knowledgeable, we're hungry. You know, it's, it's all the things a coach really wants to see and hear. There's not a lot of question marks as far as that go. The question marks are who's it going to be and when is it going to be them? Yeah
1: the uh, you know i was looking through the stats uh, in comparison to the conference and you know we've talked many times before about how strong this conference really is and and for some reason everyone nationally just sleeps on the american every year but you know you guys were number 1 in the league in hitting percentage and also in lowest opponents hitting percentage um you know it it, it just goes on and on the blocks the kit this the aces the serving game was on point uh where are some of the places where where you're like, I think we can probably improve the most right here in terms of getting to that next level?
0: You know, the first thing you said pissed me off. Uh, Sorry. No, it's not you. It's just (laughs) ridiculous that you take a look at us in Houston, who is at least our equal, and you look at Tulane and how they pushed us to five last year. You look at Temple and how they pushed us. And those are four top 25 level teams. Now, how can you tell me a league with four of the 12 teams isn't a premier league? You know, they call a league with one team or two teams a top level league. But, you know, you line it up on paper and you go team for team. This league is far deeper than um, teams that, you know, wear that special patch on their shoulder uh, or have a really shiny name across their chest. I'll put this league up against a lot of leagues and we'll have a chance to do it this year. Um, everybody's experienced, everybody's returning a lot. Um, everybody's going to be good. This is not going to be a shoe in for any of the top teams. Those were just four that I mentioned. You, you can go farther down, Wichita state certainly could win the league. Um, you look at, you know, I was, I was trying to do the, the coaches poll for the beginning of the year, which should be released here soon. And I mean, I I had the most difficult time doing one through eight. Um, and then you look at nine, 10 and 11. And for most conferences, that's an automatic win, right? That's when you fly in and you win, you leave. It's not like that. It's not going to be like that in our league. Those teams that are going to be at the bottom are growing. They're getting better new coaches systems. They're maturing. It's going to be a tough out, especially on the road, especially on a Sunday. So, what are we doing? Um, everything that you saw last year was predicated on our serving. Really driving the serve, driving teams out of system so they didn't get a great first shot. We didn't let them take a good first shot. And then we tried to capitalize when they couldn't take a first shot and try to score right away. Obviously being able to pass the ball and first ball kill and get out of their serve, no runs of three, that's going to be something that but, but I think we really want to just continue to improve our serve and pass. Last year, our pass was above average, but it wasn't great. Last year, I thought our serve was really good. It, it, it's what led us out of trouble when our offense struggled. Uh, this year, it's going to have to be more balanced. But if we can get our serving numbers up into the range where teams are passing below a 2.0 on us, you know they're siding they're, they're, they're out 50% or below. Uh, and we're siding out at 65 or 70. It, That's a five-point win right there in a set. So uh, we just got to do our job. We just got to execute the serve-pass game. And it's going you're going to hear me say it a lot this year. It's going to become really boring. Um, but that's the crux of it. What separates us from a lot of teams right now is our serving block and defense. Um, the reason why we racked up is the number of blocks we did is because we knew where the ball was going to go. We knew where the ball was going to go because the serve was so good. They only had one option. So that's what we have to do. You know, we just have to go out there and we have to bomb serves and we have to force teams to pass well to side out. And then we have to do our, our part in the offensive side of the game.
1: All this stuff is going to get put to the test real quick. Uh, this schedule that you put together is uh, wow. Uh, this is as good a schedule as you, as we've ever seen and you've had some good ones and especially in the last few years, but we know how scheduling affects it, you know, affects the RPI and how much the RPI factors into, you know, who gets to go where at the end of the season. Just looking at the matches that you have coming up at home, Georgia Tech, St. John's, Penn State. Uh you go on the road for Clemson and South Carolina. Then you come back home, you got Florida Gulf Coast, Florida State, Georgia, Miami, Gulf Coast again, FAU before they even get to conference. This is a wild uh non-conference schedule that you have before you even get to as tough as the conference is and we expect it to be so um i'm guessing we know your philosophy you're going to play for that you're going to play really hard for that rpi and test your team early um what are going to be some of the things that you that you want to see from uh how the team gets through this grinder that they're going to go through in the first four weekends
0: well, you know, you talk about the RPI, and that—that's exactly what it is. You've got to play quad one teams; those teams in the top fifty um, teams that are going to have a, an opportunity to either win their conference or have twenty to twenty-five wins. You got to play those teams. You get double bonus points in the RPI for playing those kind of teams, and so we scheduled as many as we could. Um, we tried to schedule uh, twelve. Um, It's just going to depend on where some of those teams fall on the spectrum when it's all said and done. But it's possible we could play all 12 in the quad one when when this is all said and done. If not, at least three quarters of our schedule is going to be in quad one. That's going to give us a really nice boost, nice double bonus points uh, in the non-conference. So, you know, I, w- we're good enough to go on the floor and play, and play a Penn State. We're good enough to go on the floor – you know, and, and play these types of teams now, you know, how we'll compete. That's what I'm interested to see. You know, if, uh, if they jump out on us, do we push back? You know, we've done this, we've done this against Florida. We've done it against Florida state. We've done it against USC. There's no reason why we can't do it against a, a great team, great program like Penn state um, Georgia tech, you brought them up. Those are two top 25 teams right there. Um, we were just loading up we're loading up on teams and we may come out of the preseason. I mean, if we come out 50, 50, that's awesome. You know, if we come out ahead of the game, that's okay too, but there's a chance we might come out a little bit behind and we'll have to to make up for it in conference if we have to. Um, But the, the non-conference schedule was designed um, for us to head into conference and be able to stare across the net at a Houston, a Tulane, a Temple, a Wichita and say, we've, Played you ten times already, and uh, that's the way it's going to be set up this year.
1: Let me ask you about kind of zooming out from from UCF in the world of college volleyball. To some extent, you know, this is the sport is continuing to gain momentum, and I think this past year has been such a really a really good year for uh, for women's sports in particular. But when we look at volleyball this year, um, especially just you know just a couple weeks ago team USA women's volleyball indoors won the gold. Jordan Thompson was on that team just like you predicted she would be a couple years ago and you said she would be all these years ago. And it's it's starting to feel like in particular softball and volleyball are gaining a lot more traction in the national consciousness. And so when you see that, you know, how important is it for the sport in general that we see things like you know that we see things like The women's volleyball team for Team USA winning the gold. And also, just locally, a player like Jordan Thompson, who we saw multiple times here, you know, as part of Cincinnati uh, playing against UCF, a familiar name playing at that level.
0: Yeah. You know, first, I want to say how proud I am of Jordan. Um, You know, she was a rival at Cincinnati, and we had some pretty memorable moments playing against her, both good and bad. Um, but to see her come on, and I was telling right from the time she was a sophomore, I was telling people she's going to be an Olympian. There are not many kids that are six foot four, six foot five, jump touching close to ten seven, ten eight, ten nine. She's going to get her shot because she can pass and she can play defense and she can serve, she can block. And sure enough, you know, she got pulled out early on and identified as a top prospect. I didn't know if this year would be her year. Um, I thought that maybe the next Olympics in Paris would be her, her, first shot, but she got better in training out there. And there was a, there was a weakness at right side. There was some turnover and it gave her the opportunity to step in. And she was the best attacker in the Olympics until she got hurt. And there was, there's no reason to believe that wouldn't have continued because we know how good she is. We've seen her at her best. And I just want to say how proud I am of her. And I hope she gets that message because um, being in our league gives our league legitimacy The Olympians do come from our conference and the job that the Cincinnati staff did, um, you know, Molly and Phil, uh, getting her ready for that and having her on two years of training, ready to start in the Olympics. was a lot of fun. You know, it it was a lot of fun for me because I look back and, when I was with USA Volleyball, uh, one of my tasks was to help identify and cultivate young talent. Well, on, on those first teams that we started out there were the makings of this Olympic team right here. Micah Hancock, Jordan Poulter, um, Haley Washington. You know, the, the 11 of the 12 were in the USA Pipeline that we were building in Colorado Springs. The only one that wasn't was Jordan Thompson cause she hadn't been identified yet as being one of those level players. And uh, so having the ability to work with 11 of the 12 either through a youth national or junior national or an A2 program, it was really a lot of fun because knowing them all well and seeing how they developed was really cool. Even April and Alex are two players that I worked with extensively on the indoor side and to see them win a gold April finally get her gold um, before she hangs it up. Uh, If she hangs it up, I guess I don't really know what she's going to do. But Alex is just getting started. She just converted from indoor to outdoor when she realized that she didn't really have a spot indoor. And she moved to the beach and within four years she won a gold medal. That is just sickening, unprecedented. Um, But I got to work with her as a 14 and 15 year old on the youth national team. And uh, it doesn't surprise me that she worked hard enough to make her dream come true.
1: Wow. It's amazing to see, like, you know, it, it always for years it always felt like all that talent was like out there somewhere. And now it's it's right here. It's right here in our own backyard. We see it. You've seen these players for years and years. You can talk about them from, you know, here to eternity. And uh, and that's that's fun to see the sport really growing and, and it's and it's growth come, you know, be in this close of proximity to us because it's because we see it every day all right lopez eric lopez is gonna get mad at you if i don't ask you something like this okay so um all right you we've seen you know every team especially the last three years that you've won um this that you won the conference championship by the way that's another thing the format's changing again this year no more conference tournament we've talked about this many times before in the past and i know you're thrilled that it's not there anymore (laughs) even though you even though you you know you you drop in like a boss and win it the two times that we do have it here in the american no conference tournament this year is it it do, do you see you must see it as a tremendous advantage for your team too though right
0: you know i don't know how i see it all i know is that it's fair it's fair that we play everybody home and away there is no play this team twice, this team once, skew seedings, only X number of teams go to a tournament. All I know is this is fair for all 11 teams in the conference to play everybody else home and away. There is not a more fair schedule you can come up with. So uh, I was not a proponent of the conference tournament because of Cincinnati. What happened to Cincinnati? They go through the year, they're hardly even touched, and they come in here and they catch us on a hot day. And we end up conference champions. Now, the only team matches that we lost that year were to Cincinnati. Hmm. But, uh, you know, that's what I was afraid of. Someone goes through three months of nearly being perfect. And then on one day, they lose it against a hot team. And the same thing almost happened last year. We're in the conference tournament and Tulane got hot. And fortunately, we were able to hold him off. But, you know to have something like that negate three months of winning and hard work that that, that'd have been pretty tough to handle. So no, I'm not going to miss the tournament. Um, You know, I know a lot of my colleagues were really dependent on the tournament. They wanted the tournament Um, for me. I want fairness. I want fairness for SMU. That's another team. I didn't even mention. They're another team that could win the whole thing. And I want, I want fairness for SMU. I want fairness for Temple and Tulane, Tulsa, Wichita, Cincinnati, everybody, Houston—that's that's that's in contention to win this. The only fair thing is that everybody plays everybody twice, once home, once away.
1: Here's the question Lopez wanted me to ask you. You ready? Mm -hmm. So every team kind of has its own personality, and you can kind of compare them to a pro wrestler at a particular point in their career, or at some point. This year's team, if you could compare them to a professional, uh, to a WWE or aw talent right now who would they be coming into this season
0: god what a stupid question (laughs) who this team is fun they're funny they work incredibly hard uh wow
1: Oh, he stumped you, Todd. This is no, great. No, uh, he
0: he didn't stump me. I'm just <laughs> I'm just trying to think of the right one. It's gonna be somebody that's probably a little bit off the wall, kind of a overachiever. Um, say a little, maybe, maybe a little bit of
1: Daniel Bryan,
0: maybe. Or? Yeah, I'm thinking either Daniel Bryan or Sheldon Benjamin. Isn't Sheldon Benjamin, um, little macho man? Is that? Oh, you're the, asking I the think, wrong guy there. Well, there you go. I stumped <laughs> you. Um, <laughs> I think it's Sheldon Benjamin, but he played um, the, the new macho man, the little macho man. Um, but he's funny. He works hard. His character is great. Um, he's a champion. Uh, so Daniel Bryan, I would probably say, is the best because we got a, a very blue-collar, hardworking mentality about us. And you look at a Daniel Bryan and, you know, in his size – and what he's done to achieve what he's done. So that that that's a pretty good that was the first one that came to my mind was Daniel Bryan. But then I was thinking of Sheldon Benjamin a little bit because another undersized guy that is a hard worker. Uh but we'll go uh we'll go with Daniel Bryan.
1: Yes. <laughs> All right, yes. Daniel Bryan it is Todd Dagenais, head coach of ucf Volleyball. Uh once again, getting ready for what, what could be at the end, their fourth consecutive American athletic conference championship. Todd, it's always good to spend some time with you yeah. catch up and, and talk about volleyball. I'll see you at the uh, first uh, yeah. tournament with Georgia tech and St. John's and Penn yeah. state coming to it, town.
0: It, it's uh it's not about what could be the fourth time. It's about what could be at the end of the Georgia tech match. That's, that's what I'm interested in. You know, right, I'm interested man. in, I'm interested in just uh, playing hard that first weekend.
1: All right. Hey, stay healthy, stay safe. I'll see you there. All right.
0: Sounds good. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Okay.
1: Thanks as always to uh, Todd. Always. I'm always so good. I'm so happy to talk to him. Um, And, uh, and, and just get the lowdown on volleyball. He's, he's so locked in like all the time on everything. It's, it's hard to, you know, uh, like, get it, get him to say, I I try so hard every I've tried so hard all these years that I've known him to try and get him to say stuff. And he just, he just won't take the bait, which is hilarious. But I mean, that's what coaches do, I guess. So congratulate. Anyway, by the way, uh, it is confirmed UCF is the unanimous preseason selection for, uh, for the, uh, uh, volleyball, uh, preseason poll, uh, 10 first place votes. Um, now you're not allowed to vote for yourself. That's the rule. So Todd voted for Houston, number one,
3: probably right. fair. I mean, that's fair. I mean, yeah. Houston was kind of played well in the spring, kind of faded at the end, but I think take, they're getting them positive steps
1: there. So I think that, I think that we, program is moving in the right direction. Right. And they're going to be scary for a couple of years here. I think,
3: yeah, I think Houston definitely could. That make, that makes sense.
1: Uh, at Following up from UCF and Houston three SMU four to lane five, Cincinnati six temple. I think there's, I think people are sleeping on temple a little bit. I think they're going to be better than that. Uh, South Florida is seventh. Uh, by the way, your preseason player of the year, no surprise, McKenna Melville. Uh, she also made preseason all conference along with Anne Marie Watson. Uh, and uh, they were both unanimous selections along with, uh, for, along with uh, Abby Jackson of Houston and uh, Marta Vitkovich of uh, South Florida and Lexi Douglas of to I can't believe Lexi Douglas is back again. My gosh. She's been playing for like seven years. It's unbelievable. Anyway. um, So there's your uh, preseason preseason picks. I think this is, you know, everybody's going to have some, uh, some things to talk about here in terms of the uh, um, you know, going from the spring to the fall, it's going to be big, but uh, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be a ringer of a season, especially with that schedule he put together. Right, Eric. Oh, it
3: is. I mean, you got Penn State, you got Florida State at home. that's a tough schedule and you have high expectations. And I know you guys talked about that a little bit, but this is the highest expectation to the point where I would argue not football, but women's volleyball has the most pressure this fall because they're trying to do something historic going for a four peat and they're trying to go deep into the NCAA tournament with a core here that's been together for a while. Yeah, you know, football. You know, football. You know, if they lose a couple games. Hey, it's year one of Gus. There's a transition, stuff like that. I don't think there's as much pressure there uh, the first year. Uh, women's soccer will get to later, so I, I don't. As we, as we, I won't spoil the news. Uh, there's no pressure there either uh, <laughs> compared to volleyball. You have a generational player like McKenna Melville who has a chance to be the first UCF player to be a four-time All-American. She's been three-time All, could be a multi-time Player of the Year. I, I don't know, Jeff. Do you think, uh, you know, we both saw Jordan Thompson in person, and we both said at that time, and I remember Aaron Campbell broadcasting it, she said it, that's a future Olympian. Well, she is. Yep. She's
1: now a future gold medalist. No, she's a current gold medalist. <laughs>
3: right, She's now current gold medalist this past uh, few weeks back. I mean, is it crazy to think? Uh, I think McKenna has potential to be in that mix three years from now, maybe seven years from now in Los Angeles. I mean, volleyball is different. I get that. I just think that highly of her as a player.
1: You know, I'm biased in this respect. I mean, I think she deserves that shot. She's obviously in the, U- in the USA system right now. Um, I, the one thing she doesn't have going for her is she's, she's not as big and tall as some other players that play on that outside position. Um, you know she she's not nearly as tall as Jordan Thompson. You know uh, Jordan Thompson. Well, you're right. That's always two, been an issue know. in
3: volleyball. Correct so size. Six three,
1: six four. You know McKenna's like six one, and I'm not saying she's short, but you know you look on Team USA. That's you know that, that's that's kind of what they're looking for. You, look, it's it's basically you know, a, a national all star team, but. Never say never with McKenna. I I, I just, it, it, she's so talented uh, in, in this sort of freight train way. I mean, th- there's just nothing that she allows to get in her way. And I think that that's, that, that is what's going to. Um, right. But I only you know, bring that wherever, wherever she goes, that's what's going to carry.
3: Sure. Her. But I only bring that up because Tyra Turner, who I think is regarded as the best UCF volleyball player of all time, the greatest player ever. She was an alternate, I believe on the Olympic team. Mm -hmm. Indoor and Beach, I believe. Uh, That's how talented she was. I mean, McKenna can be in this conversation. Drew, I've told you this. uh, If you've got an opportunity, Drew, and I think you might have a chance maybe September 11th if you end up going to the football game against Bethune, Volleyball play five, go get a chance to see McKenna Melville in person. This is a generational player. And so with that comes expectations and pressure that, you know, to exceed, you know, and I and this group, you you know they want to get past that round of 32. No Division one UCF volleyball team's ever been past a round of 32. But more important than that, I think these players, knowing them and gotten to know them in the last few years, and I think there's that bad taste in their mouth from that high point match. That, you know what? We beat ourselves in that match. We're better than that, you know, and I think they want to finish strong. So I think, to me, volleyball has the most pressure. It's a good problem to have. Uh, it's the bigger, big expectations, and it's uh, it could be a historic year in a lot of levels. You mentioned going for a four-peat.
2: I mean, heavy yeah. is the head that wears the crown, and we're talking conference crown, and every year it gets heavier and heavier and heavier, and it's that much harder to, to, to maintain that, that, level of near perfection that's required to get through, you know, the, yeah. the, the conference gauntlet. So I, are yeah. they hungry? By, oh, by the way, Drew, yeah. sorry
1: to, sorry to interrupt. I didn't want to interrupt, but I wanted to go off of that point. Remember. And, and I told Todd this during, you know, during the interview, they've won 46 of their last 48 conferences. That's ridiculous. That's incredible. The it, only two they lost, by the way, the only two they lost Eric Lopez, Cincinnati, Cincinnati Jordan with Thompson. Jordan Thompson and then they beat that that was the year they beat them in the conference final.
3: I so. thought Todd but Todd makes a good point and and I I I and it's a fascinating thing to follow. You just played a short season in the spring, intense, make it yep. to the NCAA's, I believe, you know, now you've got this fall. How do you from a mental a physical uh, fatigue standpoint, uh, mental that's going to be all big factors, especially in volleyball. You remember uh Jeff the one year that Jordan Thompson got hurt and basically ended up redshirting. Cincinnati fell off a cliff, mm-hmm. right? I'm not, you know, you, this is something to monitor, not just at UCF, but I think in the sport of volleyball this year is, do we see a rapid
1: rash of injuries
3: because of this unique, basically you're playing two straight semesters.
1: Right, right. Well, that's where the depth is going to come in. And I think yeah. that having that, having all those seniors on the team, plus we're going to see like Todd said, a couple of freshmen that maybe we, you know, he normally would have redshirted. we We'll probably see a little bit more of, um, you know, they're going to be called upon to, to play in certain spots. You know, he may not play all his seniors all every match Um, in in the entire schedule. And that's that's just based. Well, I don't on, think he wants to. I, I no, think he I wants to
3: learn yeah. about what he has. I think he wants to put everybody ready to go. And he has said this to you many a times. He said this to me in the spring during the post games. He doesn't want McKenna to carry the load. He wants other players to be ready to chip and to carry that load. You know, and again, not to harp on that one match against high point. But there is a situation where, man, if some a couple other players could have had a better match and helped McKenna, you could have pulled that match out. That's the next step. Is as great as McKenna is, you don't want to just depend on her, especially in a year like this where you just had a spring. I, I I agree with you, Jeff. I think he he wants that depth and he wants balance. He wants balance, especially on the offensive end.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, they uh their season starts uh pretty quick here with this uh with this wild schedule that Todd's put away. He and uh Tiffany Robert Sahadak must be like trying to one up each other in terms of the difficulty. Well, obviously they missed
3: having (laughs) non-conference in the spring. They're making up for it here.
1: Saturday is the black and gold scrimmage at 7. P.M. Friday, August 27th, 7. P.M. The UCF challenge gets underway with the Knights taking on Georgia Tech St. John's on August the 28th, Saturday at 11 a.m. I'll be calling that match on ESPN plus, by the way. And then Penn state uh, later that uh, evening at 730. Um, with uh, all the uh, home matches taking place on ESPN, Drew, I know you got Plus. a lot of
3: travel, Drew, but I got September 11th circled for you. Huge day on campus: football against Bethune, volleyball against Georgia. Right before that, yeah.
2: We'll see if we can, uh, if I I'm can just, pull off the the double header.
1: Pull the double.
3: Oh, I'm there just we go. Saying, I'm just saying, Drew, you could pop in, and then years from now, you could tell your kids, "I may have seen the greatest UCF volleyball player in person." You never know.
1: The legend. Yeah. The legend. McCann and All right. We come back. We got lots to talk about still. Uh, women's soccer getting their season underway against Texas. Uh, some football news, in particular, having to do with injuries that we got to clean up and a few other things we wanted to get to as well. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret podcast is back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Drew Glukov with you here uh, talking about, uh, well, let's kind of we're starting the third segment with the very beginning of the 2021-2022 UCF athletic season. It got underway tonight, Thursday, August 19th with UCF women's soccer, who always starts their season really early, Um, taking on the Texas Longhorns and Eric Lopez and Drew Glukov. Boy, did they horns down. Tonight That's against right. Texas. Wow. Payback.
2: A, that was illegal in some states. Hey, look, that was <laughs> four payback. Goals,
1: yeah. Four goals. Four to nothing shutout win uh, for UCF on the home pitch. Uh, Shellacked. Uh, uh, Kristen Scott scored twice on three shots. Daria Rajayi who, by the way, is the sister of Farrah Rajaei, who played on the volleyball team a couple years ago, had a goal. Um it was just a total whitewash, three nothing at the break, um, and UCF was just absolutely dominant uh, throughout the game. Um, you you got to give credit to credit where credit is due here. Uh, you know, Tiff talked to us last week, Eric, and I felt like she was a lot more confident in the offensive power of this team compared to last year. And lo and behold, she was right. You know, last year in just seven games, all of them in conference. UCF scored just nine goals. This just tonight in 90 minutes, they scored four. So I'm liking what I'm seeing so far. And I know Texas is not, you know, they're, they're not a top 25 team. I think their RPI was what? 160 some last.
3: Well, but, but here's the thing. We, we gotta be careful. This is going to be weird with volleyball and both soccers here. It's tricky to evaluate if you're just going to evaluate on the spring, because, a lot of these teams didn't have full rosters in the spring. Some players, like UCF, didn't have a full roster. That's yeah, true. As Coach Sahadek
1: mentioned. So Kristen I tried. Scott I, only played a handful of games, didn't score a goal last year.
3: And did not score in the spring. She scored eight goals in 2019, which was the last full year. She was the best player on the pitch uh, on Thursday night, which is impressive when you consider that Texas had Julia Grosso. Who's All-American who is an All American who just p- played for Canada and kicked the game winning penalty kick against Sweden to win the gold medal for them in the Olympics? So, and Texas, actually, Chris Henderson, who's a guru when it comes to women's college soccer, has Texas in the field for the tournament. So there's high expectations at Texas, and UCF I, just put it to them. Uh, so it's a good win. It's a, look, it's a big win. You always when you, when you're playing a difficult schedule like this, it is imperative to get off to a good start to feel good about yourself, and especially with this group, as you mentioned, Jeff, UCF had their struggles in the spring, so you want to put that behind them. And I think playing this match the way they did puts that behind them, and it helps to have a Kristen Scott from 2019 playing at the level of 2019. She was the best player on the pitch. The defense was sound, with experience, and it's a big win. I would I would say this. This is probably one of the most significant days in the UCF women's soccer, probably since 2017. When you consider uh, Coach Sahedek, it announces Mm. they get the – because you get the extension, they announce the extension. That's right. Uh, Big news there, Coach Zahedek is going to be extended through 2025. And you're going in – (laughs) Job security. Right, and you've got questions. And, look, football coach – the football coach here is obviously going to always be the most scrutinized coach on campus – Put that aside, I would argue the second most scrutinized head coach in UCF is the women's soccer coach. Why? Because of the history of it. Hello? The greatest women's soccer player arguably in the history of the planet played here. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> And the rich history of this program, the expectations are through the roof uh, with this program. So, there is always high expectations with this program. So with this program hasn't been to the tournament since 2017, that's not a big deal to a lot of other programs, but to this program, it is a big deal. So I think tonight, Thursday night is a huge night for this program because I think now, you know, that's, that's the best they've looked in a few years. And I think you saw why coach had was, as you mentioned, Jeff, confident about the experience. They looked like an experienced group, which they did not look like in the spring.
1: Yeah, no, that was, that was fun. To, that was fun to see. Uh, and they, they came out prepared. Um, they came out with their hair on fire. That was by the way, this is a uh, and Drew, you you mentioned this uh, before we came on during the break. This is a big night for American Athletic Conference women's soccer because not only does UCF wipe out Texas, um, Florida goes down to Tampa, loses to South Florida two to one, and Houston defeated Oklahoma three and one. Three to one, rather. Hashtag it just means more, huh? <laughs> yeah, maybe oh, UCF, man. USF
3: are your your favorites for the Big Twelve now. Just go ahead and make that realignment real <laughs> there. Uh, no, that's a good start. That 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 Houston result's a big result against Oklahoma. The South Florida Florida is not a surprise. South Florida is the better team. Florida's got a new head coach. Becky uh, Burley retired is now with the Pride. But that being said, and I know it comes off as a homer, the more significant result of the three. Is the UCF Texas one that is the score that is going to register throughout the country uh, in the first uh, first week here of women's college soccer season.
2: Well, they 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 bagel them. I mean, you know, you got the shutout Uh, that that always carries, you know, more value at that point. But I mean, you look at it this way. The other two matches going the Americans way also helps UCF, you know, and you you, you need those out of conference wins by the other teams. Boost that that you know strength of of conference that that's going to help you know towards the postseason. So I, this has just been a, a great night for American yeah. women.
3: By, by the way, and a disastrous night for the Big Twelve. Added, let's add to this: Kansas State lost to Weber State. Nice. Ah, are you sure this league's not dead already? Yikes. Maybe they're maybe they're dead already. A big um, DoA. Yeah, but to your point, Drew, that's a good point you make because if you're the American, honestly, I think the American feels they should be more than a two-bid league and probably should be a three- to four-bid league, and I think that's where, again, if UCF returns to that mix, and I've talked this last week, make challenge South Florida and Memphis, then this league will be a three-bid league, And but again, it's one match, but you know, it's a positive result. This was a very clean match, and I thought UCF, even though they had the big lead, still pounded Texas in the second half, it's not like they played safe. They were still aggressive, and I think with the depth, and Coach Sahadek loves depth because she can bring players off the bench, especially when they play in this hot, humid weather in Florida early in September. He, mm-hmm. She wants to wear down teams. that are coming, even a team like Texas. I know coming down to Florida, they're not used to this humidity that you're used to, especially this year where, they're like, what are we in a hundred? It feels like a hundred every time we go Man, outside. Like, Man, it's it an is an absolute a,
2: swamp out there. It is and a and bath it's, out Humidity's there. been high, but but to, to get to your point, Eric, this is how you get a three big a three bid plus league is you have to have those of conference wins by multiple members of the conference. You got, you got to raise the status up and that's how you do it.
1: Yeah. Boy, this a good night for UCF women's soccer. They get uh there, And uh, again, I, I th- I'm really excited about the offense. We talked about this in the uh, preview. We have a, a, we had our soccer preview up this uh, week everything you need to know about UCF women's soccer coming into this year. And uh, we expected Kristen Scott to be a real factor. And lo and behold, big factor. uh, She has big. And it it feels
3: nice for a change, Jeff, that we're talking about a soccer season starting and we're not talking about two player, a player or two. that just decided they signed to a pro contract before the season started. Yeah. I feel like we've been dealing with that. And you know, that's been part of it the last couple of years, whether it be a Stephanie Sanders and obviously in soccer is so unique. Because if you get a pro contract, you have to take it. You have to take it. And unfortunately, with women's soccer, sometimes you've you know they've been hurt by this a little bit. But this year, everybody's kind of that's uh, healthy to go, ready to go is uh, clicking.
1: It's always good to go one and know right? <laughs> are we Are we not going to use that? No. Okay. He, yeah, turp, that's turp, a that, that's turp, a turp. No, that's
3: a Knoxville. Now we don't okay. use that anymore. All right. All right.
1: Well. You see, women soccer—they're going to have trouble going
3: one and zero over there, in Knoxville. For a they moment.
1: have a—they uh, have a week off until they play their next game at Florida uh, next Thursday night, seven p.m. Next home game, August 29th. That's Sunday against LSU. So, uh, their counterparts, men's soccer, uh, got the exhibition season off to a uh, rousing start with seven goals against Stetson, seven to two. Uh, is Stetson
2: just that bad. Uh, I don't no know. No comment. I mean,
1: <laughs>
3: wow. <laughs> Plead the fifth. Moving on. <laughs>
1: uh, they, they have one more exhibition actually tomorrow at FAU. If you're a Knight fan in the Boca area, go ahead and go ahead and head down there and uh, support the Knights. But uh, their schedule came out, Eric, August 26th, Thursday. That's next Thursday is the opener at home against FIU. Uh, they have a home game against UNF uh, three days later on the road at Virginia Tech. And NC State home for Florida Gulf Coast, and then the conference schedule starts on September the 18th. And here's this here's this run, man, for use for uh, American Athletic Conference men's soccer, where you know you only have, uh, you know what, one, two, three, four, five. You only have uh, basically ten teams, or is, or uh, excuse me, you only have. I'm, I'm even losing count here, just looking at it. One, two, three, four, five six teams in the American for, uh, men's soccer. So you have the double round Robin format coming back this year. Um, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be quite a, quite a ringer once again for men's soccer this year with this non-conference because we're seeing the level of soccer here in the state of Florida, really, um, really increase and have a moment here. And coach Scott Calabrese is, uh, lining that up with FAU, or excuse me, FIU, UNF, and Florida Gulf Coast, in addition to two ACC teams.
3: Well, not just any two ACC teams. Virginia Tech was a Sweet 16 team.
1: <laughs> uh, so, uh, and the
3: ACC is the number one conference in men's soccer. The big question, and we'll dive yeah, if you into can't this.
1: Get, if you can't get Virginia to come around, you know, at least it's not too bad to get Virginia exactly. Tech, right? Exactly. The big
3: question here, though, and I think this is, you know, we're going to get into this more next week. Who's going to be a goalkeeper? Yannick is yep. now pro. That's the, the biggest question in fall sports this year. Uh, football aside, obviously, because there's a million football questions people always have, rightfully so, and I get all that. But the biggest question is who's going to be the goalkeeper at UCF men's soccer. You're replacing a legend in Yannick Erdo, who I think is a future UCF Athletic Hall of Famer, I would argue is the second greatest goalkeeper in the history of of UCF soccer behind Winston DeBose, who had a tremendous lengthy pro career. That is big shoes to fill, and I'm fascinated to see how that plays itself out. I think that's the biggest question, and I think that's part of the reason because of the scheduling, because you're going to have so many inex- inexperience potentially at the goalkeeper spot. Mm-hmm. The positive here from the spring, again, we'll get more into is uh, I think this offense will be dynamic back to what it was a couple years ago because the guys, the experience they got in the spring – Kind of started to grow up, and I think you saw some of that in the Stetson exhibition.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a three-way race between uh, Matt Douglas, who, by the way, um, you know had a a, a win uh, last year, you know, and, and kind of kept the ship righted until um, uh, until uh, Yannick could come back. You remember when Yannick was hurt early in the year? That long winning streak that they beat, had was it started with Matt Douglas, yeah, that, yeah a big yeah. game against Memphis. Uh, Bernardo Brandau and also Tyler Levine, who's a a freshman from a redshirt freshman from St. Cloud uh, will also be uh, competing for that spot. So um, we'll talk about that next week with uh, head coach Scott Calabrese when uh, he joins us uh, for his preview. Uh, All right, let's switch over to uh, football real quick. So unfortunate, uh, a coming and a going, we'll start with the going. Unfortunately uh, for UCF is, RJ Harvey, who um, Jason uh, Beatty from two, four, seven soon to be the Orlando set. No congrats, Beatty, uh, was first to report it um, where RJ uh, tours ACL and uh, he's out for the year. Um, Drew, we were expecting to see uh, more, or, or I think we were, we were planning to see uh, more RJ Harvey than maybe we were expecting as, as the reports from camp came out. But um, this is a blow uh, to UCF in terms of uh, what what Gus Malzahn was expecting. Although, you know, we do although they do have a pretty deep running back group, it got a lot shallower in the last week or so with uh, with uh, Benno Thompson apparently leaving the program. So, right now, your most experienced running back overall is uh, is Isaiah Bowser, who's the transfer from. Uh, Northwestern. We're probably gonna see a fair amount of uh of Mark Anthony Richards and uh and Johnny Richardson and a couple other guys, uh possibly even Trillion Coles at some point. But um what does this do to the running back room with uh uh with RJ now out for the year? Uh,
2: my my take on it is not as much as people think. Uh RJ Harvey is 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 a physical specimen. I, he he's not big, he's not heavy but you wouldn't guess it by watching him play. He runs like a quarterback, by the way. Yeah, former quarterback from Virginia, and and he runs like a wrecking ball. But being a former quarterback, he also is not experienced as a running back. Coming to UCF, he had zero running back experience. Kalia Davis, defensive lineman, has more running back experience than R.J. Harvey because Davis was a running back in high school. I always, I always like to throw that one out there just because it's one of those funny fun facts that you never would guess. But that's yeah, true. in my preview, I even hinted that, you know, he's more of a play for 2022. And that was before he got hurt. Now, obviously, definitely a play for 2022 and not for this year. I always viewed Harvey as a dark horse as he gets more experience. Uh, during the spring game, early on, he struggled. As the game went on, he got more and more comfortable, started looking better and better. So he just needs time, and with this injury, perhaps he can get you know you know get a, a medical medical shirt because I think he's a red he already used a red shirt um, previously, so he may be able to medical red shirt for uh, an extra year of eligibility down the road if he chooses to. But UCF's in a, in a decent spot. They, you know, Mark Anthony Richards is is a, is a good running back, and he's you know taking a, a lot of the one stuff. I mean, Bowser was already familiar with be, the
1: system too from working like, with Gus. Exactly. Before.
2: I mean, he only has 20 carries career-wise, and, and you know, it's like 20 carries about 76 yards. I don't have the number in front of, him, but it's about that.
1: Yeah, but we don't have any statistics on how many times he was running. He was running things in practice with Gus, you know, and not having the opportunity to play. Um, exactly. You know, that's the other thing.
2: Now Isaiah Bowser is is your the Bruiser back that Oh, UCF has been dying for since Taj McGowan left. Uh, he's got. Side, he's got strength. He's he's a, he, he's gonna be using your your third down short yardage back, your goal line back. He's gonna be more situational. And, and then you have Johnny Richardson, who's is gonna be used like Adrian Killens was in his freshman year as more of a of a change of pace back, but he's not gonna be a guy who carries the load. Uh, I think Richards is gonna be the main guy because he's more of an all-around back versus a speedster versus a bruiser. And I I think that actually gives you a pretty good three-headed monster of three very different styles that gives a lot of flexibility for for Gus Malzahn to utilize. Now, with him doing the no huddle, chances are they're not going to be switching out all that often because you don't want to give the defense a chance to to do substitutions when when you're trying to move a little bit quicker. It won't be hypo-quick, but I mean a little bit quicker but you still have death below that. Uh, Demarius Good, who's actually outside of Bowser, the most experienced carryback uh, on the team. I believe he's up at around 111 carries total. And then uh, you mentioned Trillian Coles, and I think Anthony Williams down as, as a true freshman, maybe able to get a little bit of a little bit of game time with with you know the Harvey injury. But I don't think this is a red flag. Oh my God, the season's over. I, I don't think it's a serious as, as some people are, are saying it is, I, I think there's still a lot of capable talent here.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's never good to see two backs who you were counting on who were high up your depth chart go away, but that does show you how much depth UCF had and, and Gus worked on that depth in the, uh, in the offseason. I think it's a, I think it's a good thing overall. The, um, but
3: the only thing I would say to that though, is it's not good to, you're down to basically three guys, that you feel comfortable with before the season starts in a year where you still have COVID around, you like to have as many bodies as you can. And none of these guys are proven yet. And, uh, that's good. That's the concern is you have a young running backs assignments, protecting the football, uh, you know, I, I tend to agree with you, Drew. That I don't. I think Harvey was kind of. I I feel like Harvey was going to be that guy that the you know gets a lot of hype in August and then come October didn't get a lot of carries except in mop up time maybe, but it's still a body and you have you've already lost a couple of bodies here and in football, man. You know now you're one or two more injuries away from being in trouble. Uh. So we'll you know that's my concern.
2: Yeah. And, and I think that's a fair concern. I think it's very fair, but. But I'm talking more of the red flag, you know, the season's in trouble kind of thing. Uh, You know, I. The sky has
1: not fallen.
2: The sky has. That's that's great. The sky has not fallen. I like that.
1: (laughs) Um, One coming to UCF uh, that we wanted to talk about here. um, Multiple reports are now stating that, including uh, including from our uh, sister uh, site on SB Nation, that uh, Joey Gatewood, a quarterback for Kentucky, who actually played at Kentucky last year and prior to that was at Auburn, will transfer to UCF. Uh, Gatewood is a big kid, 6'5", 221. Uh, He's originally from Bartram Trail High School in Jacksonville. He was a four-star recruit, played in the Under Armour uh, All-American game. He was an Elite 11 finalist, Um, was recruited by Gus, went to Auburn, got a few cups of coffee uh in game action mostly as a runner but uh uh but did uh, did put up a few numbers in uh, in a few games played most of his uh career uh games at Kentucky last season he had one start against Georgia where he was less than impressive but uh was primarily the backup to Terry Wilson uh he's coming to UCF now and i think that this is a pretty interesting uh a, a move here his best game at auburn in gus's system he had 102 yards and two touchdowns on 12 carries in a in mop up duty against Kent State. And, uh, you know, this is something that's actually pretty interesting. You know, there's a pretty full quarterback room at UCF, but right now, Gabriel is the alpha dog. But if Dylan has a huge season um, and I know that you've been through that, you expect him to. There's a possibility with a very thin quarterback class coming out of college this year that, you know, Dylan Gabriel may get some NFL may have the ability to uh, uh, leave early and go to the NFL. I know UCF fans don't want to think about that, but um, that's, that can never be something that's not too far from the front of your mind. And after that, well, you got a bunch of young guys back there, Parker Navarro, Mikey Keene. And now, Joey Gatewood, who would be heading into his uh, junior year and has experience in Gus's system. Um, what do we think about this uh, with, Ga- with, with Gatewood now, uh, by all indications, getting ready to enter the full? By the way, he, he wouldn't play this year, as far as we know, unless he hit the waiver lottery because, first of all, it's after July the 1st. and uh, Second of all, this is his second transfer. And with the new transfer, you obviously are allowed one free transfer but he would have to now in all likelihood he's going to sit out the twenty twenty one season and be ready for twenty twenty two. But Drew, what do you think?
2: Well I mean first things first, you know, UCF had the 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 walk on Andrew Brito from Massachusetts uh transfer over and, and I said he's got to be the designated survivor. You keep him in a separate room from all the other quarterbacks. If COVID hits <laughs> he's your guy. Yeah, it doesn't sound great, but, I mean, you got to have a designated survivor. Uh, I, I mean, this is very intriguing uh, because I, I'm pretty convinced, short of an epic disaster, that Dylan Gabriel will leave for the NFL. Uh, this is not a strong quarterback class, and he has a chance to prove that he's not a system quarterback because that's what dogs him right now under the hypo system was a very simple playbook, really does not translate anywhere near for a pro quarterback. I mean, basically, it was throw a screen or bomb it. There wasn't much in between. But as we saw from the spring game, Gabriel had to move the ball a lot in a lot of different places in the time that he played. So this is an opportunity for him to kind of kind of shake that that negative system quarterback vibe. And I'm assuming that he's going to. Because I'm, this is, he's a smart kid, he's strong, uh, and, and he's shown at least so far that he's got what it what it takes to be able to 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 run Melzon's offense. So I, I expect him to be gone. Then you gotta worry about 2022. Who's left? As you said, you got you got Jones, you got Mikey Keene, you got Parker Navarro, you have uh, uh Tommy Castellanos. Uh, who is looking, who's a, a current verbal to UCF. I'm assuming he's going to follow it all the way through. He'll be coming in as a freshman. Uh, but I mean, you look at those guys very young or just not very experienced. And, and Gatewood has an, would have an opportunity to, to take over. I mean, you can't teach size. That was the Blake Bortles mm-hmm. effect. You can't teach size, you know, it's an intangible that, that you, you can't get around. And with that much of an opportunity, you know, the sky's the limit, but I'll be honest, I am a little nervous about 2022 in the fact of there's no real depth of with experience there.
1: Does gate would make you a little less nervous.
2: Uh, I'll be honest. I I'd have to see some of his action. Uh, I haven't, you know. I, I've seen Navarro, I've seen Keen, I've seen Jones, I've seen them in action. Um, I haven't seen anything on Gatewood yet. It's still very new, uh, so uh, I, I don't know if it makes me feel better. The fact that you know he had, you know, he he went to to Auburn, had to deal with the problems that Gus Malzahn dealt with Auburn, with you know the old money talking. We got to play
3: my kid next, you know, okay. Uh-huh. have to do it here in the South.
2: There, there's a reason why <laughs> Gus Malzahn was so excited to come to UCF because he doesn't have to deal with that.
3: Well, but th- they agree the proof in that. I mean, think about this. There's coaches on this staff that was there. I mean, obviously he knows him. So obviously he likes it to the point where he's bringing him in uh, at Auburn. And then even when he went to Kentucky, the offensive coordinator at the time at Kentucky, or the, who was also handled the quarterback, Darren Henshaw, UCF alum, UCF alum, UCF analyst right now on the football staff. So clearly there's guys, that's people that know him. It's not like this is like, hey, let's just take a shot. They know this kid, and they obviously still believe in this kid to the point where they're going to bring him in. And why not? He's tremendously athletic, talented. Um, So there's nothing wrong with that with taking and giving another shot. I think what's clear is you're probably going to have, if, if, again and this is by the way drew is the one that's telling everybody that dylan's leaving just for the record, so stops don't don't send the hate mail to me or jeff all right don't tweet at me just tweet at andrew
1: there that boy drew on
3: yeah. twitter i <laughs> own it
2: i i'm willing <laughs> to own this i'm i'm um, convinced he will leave right. at the end of the year
1: i know i just don't want people tweeting no, like, like welcomes the hate
3: tweets I know. he's not like the i two live of us, there. for
2: it i i mean it sustains <laughs> me i i enjoy it way too much
1: Oh, okay, very good. Um You you drink the tears of Twitter trolls in the morning. Oh man.
2: Does that make me the Twitter
3: troll?
1: <laughs> oh man.
3: Uh but so you bring another kid to be quarterback. And to now to back up your point, Drew, I'm looking at the quarterback potential for the NFL next year. Spencer Rattler, right now, is the number one guy, Oklahoma, redshirt sophomore, assuming he declares. Uh you got Sam Howe, North Carolina, a lot of people like. Uh, then it gets a little murky. Got the Slovis kid from USC that people like, but yeah, there's prim- a, you know. there's a
1: big drop after those two guys, after right? You Lantler got and-
3: Malik Willis of Liberty. who's a red shirt senior. A lot of people like Matt Corral at old miss. So there's room for a guy to have a monster year this year that could skyrocket here. And there's always a quarterback that does that. Heck Blake Bortles, Blake Bortles is the example. No one was talking Blake Bortles NFL draft until the 2013 season was ongoing. And by the time the South Carolina came around, all of a sudden you have Todd McShay saying, you know, this guy could be a first round pick. And then he ended up being the third pick. So uh, yeah. that now, you know, things could happen.
2: Don't don't forget. Let, let's throw a name out there. That's going to drive some people. Absolutely nuts. Desmond Ritter. Don't forget <laughs> right, him. Right, Come on. right. Yeah. We want to trigger some people.
3: Sure. Uh, no, you're fair. That's fair um so look it's a as a result so if he does leave you're gonna have a young quarterback class in next year now keep in mind for all we know the next starting quarterback might not even be still on this roster they could always with the transfer portal you could always if you don't feel good about what you have going into next year they could always if somebody becomes available that you didn't anticipate they could always go that route as well but again they have a kid that they know He's athletic. He's talented. I think he has a shot for the quarterback position. And if he doesn't get it, maybe they change positions. There's a win-win here. I think it's a win-win either way.
2: I agree. I think with his size, if quarterback falls through, tight end would be a perfect spot for him. Uh, You know, he's athletic. You you taught. We talked about uh, his ability to run. That could be translated. Uh, Obviously, you have to learn to block. and, And we've seen quarterbacks trying to switch to tight end doesn't always work out. But I mean, you start this early; it may work. <laughs> I, I mean, not hitting you know what, I was, anything.
1: You know what I was interested in is looking at this 2022 class. Is how few guys are, you know, the, you don't have a lot of big dudes out there. You know, and, and he start and he strikes me obviously the size is really something. But you know, who are your like traditional, you know at least six, three guys, you know, that we're talking about like Rattler six, one, he's still pretty small. Uh, Matt Corral is six, one Malik Willis is six feet tall. Tyler slough of Texas tech is uh, or, or Tyler Shaw, I should say is, uh, uh, is six, five. That's your first really big one that you see out there. Uh, Jerkovich, the kid from Boston college is six, four, but a lot of small guys out there. Carson strong of in Nevada, six, three, but that's about it.
2: Well, I mean, UCF does not have tall quarterbacks. I mean,
1: yeah. I now, mean, Dylan uh, is is six one ish. Uh, I,
2: I mean, he's listed as six, even on UCF's uh, website. Ritter's 6'4", six I, four, I by the way. I should and we say. know schools tend to exaggerate a little bit on the height. So, I mean, you've got Gabriel at six, Quadri at six, Parker at six, and then it goes down. You know, Mikey Keen at five of eleven. Uh, Andrew Brito at five nine. I mean, th- th- this is just a. They're they're. It's a small group.
1: It's it's the, it, there. It, there's no guy that like walks in the room where the scouts are like, whoa, okay, all right, right.
3: No, you're right. Oh, no. about anyway, one other thing on gate. one of the things that's kind of hurt him in a little bit when he went to Auburn. The guy he was compared to was Cam Newton, who won the Heisman and the national title. Yeah, uh, that's not and-
2: fair.
1: I agree with fair. you.
3: It's not fair, but it tells you how highly he was touted. Uh, and I think that kind of hurt him a little bit. When I looked at – when I saw him, I thought more of a bigger, taller uh, Nick Marshall who led Auburn to the national title game in 13 uh,
1: under Gus. And I think, again I, – Nick, I <laughs> Nick, Nick Marshall, Marshall with was size. Correct. Nick Marshall wasn't a big guy.
3: Right. And I think Gatewood's the best runner in this, in this quarterback room. Don't you, Drew? Like, I, I mean – I'm I'm not sold on what the what's the running ability of the quarterbacks in this current roster. Well, so you I, know. I
2: think Parker Navarro is a great runner. The problem is he runs around like a chicken with his head cut off. I mean uh, <laughs> Jeez, man. I, that oh, that's man. what happened during the spring game. I mean he ran and he ran and he ran some more and you know never threw the ball away and ran. Right. Um but I mean that's all stuff that can be taught. I mean he's young, it's a new system. Okay. Uh, but I there, there's definitely some legs there, uh, but as far as both size and speed, I think he he may be the only one who can who can you know have the complete package, and, and that's got to be an advantage going into 2022.
1: Yeah. Lest we forget though that you know Dylan Gabriel has some pretty good legs too. Remember who he who's also recruiting him, Army.
2: I was saying, going to answer that question. Yeah, right? you know, I was, but I, not I, I'm
3: not a, you know, I'm, I know, everybody I, keep,
1: you know, Army, Army doesn't run the air raid last I checked.
3: No, <laughs> Army but I, Army I'm just not, runs.
1: Right. They run. I'm just not as sold though,
3: a Dylan, as far as a runner. Uh, I mean, he's got this. I think skeptic. he's, I
1: think he's better than people think. He's and I don't skeptic. think he was given the opportunity to do that in the air raid.
3: We'll see. I mean, Desmond Ritter is the better runner, which is probably why more scouts look at him. And I know UCF fans don't. Agree with that, but that is the one thing Desmond Ritter has. A couple advantages he has over him is he's taller and he's more uh, athletic. He can run. The big question with Desmond is throwing the football, especially uh, with act down the field. And I think that's the big question with him in Cincinnati this year.
2: It's not uh, even a question. It's it, Dylan is a way better passer. No, he is. But yeah. I'm saying no, no. Exactly. What I'm saying it's is not the, even close.
3: No, what I'm saying is the questions that the scouts have about Ritter is can he throw the football. Whereas with, I think Dylan is his size and as you mentioned, whether he's a scheme quarterback, uh, you know, kind of a question that
1: you have to answer about Ritter, by the way, you know, <laughs> so, I think yeah. the
2: scheme is the scheme issue is the bigger question. Cause we've seen six foot, maybe a little bit less size quarterbacks with good arms do pretty well in the NFL. it, it comes back to decision-making and being able to run complex schemes, which are mm-hmm. both you know, very prevalent in the NFL. And yeah,
3: being able but to re-defense. but but you say that. But NFL teams will always go with a size quarterback. Look at your boy at Ohio State, Justin Fields. Why did he drop? Because quarterbacks like Trey Lance, who's taller, got picked before him.
2: And you know what? He still got picked. He still got pre- picked high. And I and so far, despite a slight slow start, you know, he, he at least shows that he's got some competency. Obviously, this is preseason; it's not worth the paper it's written on. But. Uh, you know, look at this. Do you want to stop right there? <laughs> well, I was going to say, look at the size quarterbacks who have failed. Uh, well, the, well, which, well,
3: well, well, the joke you know, is that Justin Fields' first half is better than any Ohio State quarterback has had in the NFL ever since maybe Arch it Leister. It's been
2: a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> maybe
3: since Arch
1: Lister, you know, Arch, Arch Leicester is an expletive. <laughs> I may have to bleep that out if you're an Ohio State fan. Um, well,
2: I, I, I grew I, up an Ohio state fan. I'll, I'll take that.
1: <laughs> so one last, uh, one last little bit of news that uh, we did want to get to all, uh, in terms of contract extensions, congratulations to Emily Marin, UCF women's head golf coach. She also had her contract extended through the 2025, uh, season. So that's, uh, so I think that wraps it up here for this. Yeah, uh, don't forget Thursday. everybody
2: check out our position previews for, for the UCF football season. Last yes. Two should be coming soon.
1: They're coming out tomorrow. Drew, Drew has been hard at work on those position by position previews. So do, do make sure you check those out. I
2: dread the last one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Defensive. And bats. then uh,
1: I dread next, that one. Now, next week, uh, we're going to be doing our traditional five biggest questions facing UCF football in 2021 previews. But uh, we're do a little bit going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to do it round table style. And we want you to submit the questions. So send them to us, your biggest questions facing UCF football this season. We're going to pick the five best ones, uh, and we're going to – each of us are going to answer them in, uh, in an article on Black and Gold Banneret. So make sure you send your questions to us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. Uh, you can follow us individually, by the way, at StatBoyDrew, Jeff underscore Sharon, and Eric Lopez ELO. You can also follow us at facebook.com slash black and gold Banneret. If you subscribe to our show, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Make sure you leave us a review um, and uh, let us know how we're doing on your podcast platform of choice. And make sure you tell a a UCF friend of yours about us um, who uh, may be interested in hearing some UCF uh, podcast content. If you're not a subscriber to us, no problem. You can fix that right now. You can subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, you can hit us up on Spotify or anywhere where you get uh, your podcasts. Uh, this is a fun one. We're getting, we can smell football season now, boys.
2: Uh, I can smell something.
1: <laughs> August, uh, our next show will be our last show before uh, we actually preview Boise State. So here we go. It's happening. It's happening right now.
2: So oh, I'm excited. Uh it's it's been a long road. You know, last season was was rough for everybody involved. You know, a lot of us, you know, we couldn't be involved with I
1: feel like we're all gonna look back on the 2020 football season, like no matter what school you're from. We're all gonna laugh. be looking back and it's just like, man, that happened, really? Like, you know, it's it's like the season that wasn't. Boy, the 30 for 30s that are gonna come out of that is gonna be really something. <laughs> I'll tell you, oh, man. but, uh, but we're looking forward to uh, having a full bounce house on September 2nd for, uh, the Boise state Broncos. Uh, and we'll be previewing that, uh, uh, on the actually the day before, uh, when our show comes out and our show should be out that morning of September 2nd, but uh, next week we'll have Scott Calabrese UCF men's soccer joining us to preview his team. So that'll do it for us here on the black and gold banner podcast. For Andrew Glukov and Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you again next week.